Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome in to another off-season edition of Fantasy Football Today at DFS on Wednesday, April 13th. I am Frank Stanfield, and we have another great guest coming up for you in just a bit. I know it's been a while since we last dropped the podcast. Busy times over on the baseball side of things, but alas, here we are. The NFL draft is rapidly approaching, and before you know it, we'll have OTAs, minicamps, all that fun stuff. And speaking of fun, let's get to our latest DFS deep dive guest. He is one of the best Swiss Army knives in the fantasy football industry. He does it all, season-long, Dynasty, the NFL Draft, and of course, DFS. He recently joined up with Fantasy Pros, a fantastic addition to their team. Welcome to the show, Derek Brown. What's going on, my man? Frank, it's been a minute, man. Um, I'm happy to get on here and talk to you about all things DFS. Um, you talked about MLB. I've been dabbling in the MLB DFS streets, but the real bread and butter is NFL, so... Happy to uh, get on here and talk to you, man, because it's been a minute since we've done a show, buddy. Yeah, it really has been a while. And I, I was, we were talking beforehand. I'm happy for you. I know you've come a long way. Now you're joining up with Fantasy Pros. Are you working with Joe, Joe Pizzapi over there? <laughs> oh, I love Joe. Joe is good people. Yes. Um, very, very closely, although I will not admit that. Oh, darn it. I just admitted it live in public. Um, anyway, uh, but no, I love Joe. Um, one of the people that gave me one of my first starts, man, writing for the Black Book uh, in this space. Um, I could go on and on all day about Joe, um, but nothing good but good things to say. Of course, yeah. Don't let that man intimidate you, but Joe is a great guy. Me and him, we go uh, way back as well. If you haven't already, make sure to follow Derek on Twitter at dbro underscore ffb. And let's just jump right into it here. Of course, I mentioned already, I host our fantasy baseball podcast in addition to this DFS pod. And I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen, Derek, how fantasy football, the past really handful of years, it has been trending more towards analytics. And this is a loaded question. Uh, and you can take it whichever way you want to, but which analytics do you feel matter most, specifically when it comes to analysis for DFS? So, I mean, DFS, is, and you're right, Frank, like there's a lot of different ways and directions that you can go with this. But for me, um, if I'm trying to whittle it down to just a few things that people could take away from this episode, for me, and, and you're chasing in DFS, and we're talking about um, whether it's GPPs, cash lineups, which... Um, if people are not aware with, with the difference between those GPPs or tournaments. So you're really looking at high payouts, high payout structures, and it's really, really top heavy. So you're shooting for first place. Cash lineups, you're just trying to get over the 50-50 mark. So when you're looking at this, and I'm mostly a GPP player, that's just how I go. So with that, I'm looking for ceiling. I'm looking for opportunities because we're all chasing ceiling outcomes. I say you get first place. That's how you get the big payouts. And so for me, I'm looking at big play metrics. And that comes down to explosive plays, both on both sides of the ball. Like what teams are throwing deep down the field? What teams are giving up deep passes or explosive runs? Because if we're chasing ceilings, we want the big chunk plays to get there. So it's explosive play rates. Um, also, volume still comes into that conversation. So you're looking at like not only just raw volume, like touches, targets. Um, you're also looking at other metrics like weighted opportunity to where you're looking at like, you know, red zone shares and things like that. Because not only do we want the high yardage, we want touchdowns, man. That's You need the combination of the two or a massive amount of just one of them to really push you over the top for the players that you're you're looking at playing. 
Um, some other things that I'll look at when I'm going through and I'm parsing through the entire slates, um, I'm really, really big on matchups. So a lot of cornerback matchups, offensive, defensive lines, things like that, because it, the DFS space in the NFL has gotten so sharp over the last two to three seasons, maybe a little bit longer than that, that you're really looking for these micro edges and the things that that either stick out to you from a matchup perspective or some of these other metrics that are going to tell you a story that if this player is not popular or this stack isn't popular, then that's how you're going to get to the top of the leaderboard because if nobody else is playing them, and there's so many realms of content nowadays that everybody's kind of in the know of who the good plays are and things like that. So it's really you got to get deep in the weeds and we're chasing ceilings. So it's a lot of volume and a lot of big play opportunity just to kind of like put a bow on this. So, uh, look, I think you said it perfectly there. There's so many different things that you're looking at. And I think, of course, like the base, right? Like the first things that we're looking at, mm-hmm. snap rates, target share, red zone usage, as you mentioned. We're trying to find ways to get touchdowns. Uh, and I've seen recently, Derek, I don't, like, I don't think that you mentioned this, but player versus defense metrics. I know you mentioned wide receiver versus cornerback, but specifically, I've, I've heard more people reference things like this player versus zone rate or this player versus mm-hmm. man. Are those things that you are looking at as well? Absolutely. I mean, you want to see in some of this, again, going back to the wide receiver position, if you have some of these teams like off the top of my head, Miami ran a lot of man, um, more man and press. And uh, so does New England. There's a few other spots. You want to see not only like the defensive constructs, like a lot of zone defenses. I like to play either running backs because a lot of the way that these defenses are set up, they they're trying to keep everything in front of them for, from his own aspect. So you're going to give up a lot more passes to tight ends, running backs, players that are going to be open on the underneath side of, the, of that defense. So looking at, de- at, at teams that allow a lot of this production goes back to their scheme and things of that nature and how not only wide receivers win, but how are other teams going to attack this defense? You know, so over the last few seasons, there's a bunch of teams off the top of my head. I could tell you that, are more man heavy. There are a bunch of teams that can tell you that are more zone heavy, like off the top of my head, like the Colts have always been historically over the last two to three seasons, a more zone heavy team. Now they lost their defensive coordinator. Maybe that transitions over to Chicago. You saw the Colts. uh, A few of their guys went to Philadelphia. They became a zone heavy team. So are you looking at running backs, tight ends versus these two teams? And what does that kind of look like? So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to go with this, but it all comes back to, looking at not only the macro perspective, but then the micro edges in DFS and a lot of these matchups. And really, I I don't only just look at the slates themselves and the players that stand out, but for me, and I approach this heavy, heavy from a matchup perspective. So um, looking at not only like if somebody goes to read any of my work, a lot of it is NFL based and it's matchup based. So it's not just price talk and, 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 do I fade this player or who do I play and stuff like that? I try to really get down to the nitty gritty of like play action, man, zone, matchups. And so, hell, even if you're not playing DFS, you could take something away from an NFL perspective or even your redraft leagues and a lot of the work that I put out into the space. No, and I love that too because I've heard other people that the way that they start looking at the slate is they'll look at salary first and foremost, right? But you're doing it the opposite, basically, where you're looking at matchups and maybe, you know, something that stands out to you, you'll find a a matchup to exploit and then you'll realize, oh, this guy is underpriced. You'll realize that afterwards. You'll be like, okay, well, that's a player that I want to target. You mentioned so many different things there. Can you give us a peek behind the curtain, maybe where you go, uh, what tools you're using to find this information, like offensive line versus defensive line metrics, for example, or Mm -hmm. uh, players versus man rates, or just how, how often a defense is playing man defense. You have like probably multiple different sources, but like where your go to's to find this information. Yeah, I mean, usually if I'm diagnosing a slate, I'll have two to three screens and I'll have like 10 to 15 tabs open just <laughs> parsing through stuff to see kind of like what sticks out and how I want to attack this. Um, off the top of my head, I mean, we have a bunch of awesome data and tools over Fantasy Pros. So really looking at um, target totals, um, some of the matchup data that I look at is over there, um, as well as volume, red zone stats, some advanced stats I look at for running backs. Um, yards for contact, things like that. 
there are also a, another myriad of sites that I use. Like I'll go to use PFF um, for some of the man's own stuff. Sports Info Solutions is really good at some of that stuff too. Um, a lot of the offensive line stuff that I look at, not only in prospects, but DFS, uh, matchup-wise, football outsiders. Uh, if you're looking for um, some free sources, because a lot of people, if they're getting into looking at stats and looking at places, a lot of this stuff is behind the paywall. And I think it's very relevant. Like if you're going to go play DFS and you're th- tossing out 50 bucks a-, a week, $100, hell, if you're going north of that, you're doing yourself a disservice by not accessing better data, better things, whether that's optimizers, whether that's not only just content of who do I play, but also understanding your own process. So a lot of this stuff is behind the paywall and it's so worth it because if you're putting the money forth, why would you not want to be become a, a more educated player and not just, you're not tailing other people's like recommendations. You also need to get to where you're like, okay, well I agree with this. I don't agree with, with that because at the end of the day, you're the one that's setting the lineups. You're the It's your money that you're putting into all these contests. So I implore people both when I've talked to people in Discord um, or in my DMs, uh, Slack, all of these different places, that, yes, uh, understanding somebody else's process is a big part of that, but also going to all these different sites and understanding what your process is going to be on a weekly basis, constructing your own DFS lineups, whether that's using the optimizer or looking at all this data, is really, really important. Um, and, I, and I know I kind of alluded to some free sites. So if people are just not getting into this, they don't necessarily want to, or they want to kind of get some statistics that you can easily source. Uh, Roto Underworld or play, playerprofiler.com is really good for a lot of different efficiency metrics. Uh, Pro Football Reference is good for, you can find defensive metrics as well as um, some deeper stuff on players. Um, those are two really good sites that are free totally free. And if you're just looking at trying to dip your toe into statistics and stuff, that's probably where I start and then branch out from there. Yeah. It's so cliche, but the old saying, right? You give somebody a fish, they eat for a day. You teach someone how to fish, they eat for a lifetime. So I think it's perfect, right? Like you can listen to as many people as you want. And there's a lot of smart, smart people and entertaining people in this space as well. I'll, I'll, I'll throw that in there. Cause some of the DFS people are just hilarious. Um, But you can learn from all those different people what their process is and then create your own process. Again, you have to do what's comfortable for you. Let's jump into roster construction a little bit. And another just loaded question. You could take this whichever way you want to, but what changes have you noticed in DFS roster construction in recent years? I'll just throw one out there for me. It's like very rarely did I find myself paying up for running backs this past season. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was just because Cooper Cup was as amazing as he was, and he was just like, every single week, we're like, oh, you know, Cooper Cup has to slow down eventually, right? And I'm like, no. Like <laughs> The slogan of this podcast in season became, fade Cooper Cup at your own risk, because the guy obviously went out and just had a historic year. But I just feel like target shares for running backs are just not as massive as they were as recently as two years ago, where... McCaffrey and Kamara are north of 20% target share. And don't get me wrong, we had great running backs this season. Austin Eckler, um, Najee Harris, you know, it would help if CMC could stay on the field, but I just very rarely found myself spending up for running backs. Derek, for you, uh, what have you noticed about roster construction the past couple of years? So I, I was the same way, Frank. Like I used to start with the running backs and it was basically... You um you paid up at running back and you just you wedged him in and then you figured out a lot of the other parts of your lineup like all right I'll pay down at quarterback I'll pay down at wide receiver maybe I'll try to like see who's in the mid range for tight ends and roster construction used to be very different I used to go a lot of the pay down aspect of of quarterbacks um and really it was like searching for upside with my wide receivers. And if I could project you for like five to seven targets and maybe a ceiling outcome, uh, then, then, you know, Yahtzee, that was great. Cause if I could fit in these 80 to 90% snap running backs, that could get like six to eight targets at the time, you know, you had Le'Veon Bell, you had CMC, you've had all these different workhorse kind of guys. A lot of that's dried up and the NFL has gone to more committee backfields. And when we've seen this, there, there's two different ways to go with this. Now, I start a lot of my builds and a lot of my lineups. I'll go ahead and just put, I, I do not pay up for, for defenses ever, period. I just don't do it. I, there's so much defensive variance 
that you're really shooting yourself in the foot. Like if we're talking about you need all the salary, we're trying to sit here and get up to high price guys or stacks and what have you. I'm not paying up for a defense. I don't care. Like we've seen so many different iterations of, okay, the popular defense this week or what have that. And then it, it, they fail. Or all you're saying is that, okay, if I don't pay up for this defense and all the defenses score three points and my punt defense gets three points, then I'm equal with the field. And I, but I saved the salary and I got up at other positions. So I start my lineup builds. I'll put in whatever punt defenses or a handful of them first. So I know how much salary I have left to allocate to the rest of my positions. Now, a lot of what I've switched to and going to um, where a lot of my builds is I start with quarterbacks and then I figure out where I'm going after that. So I start with the quarterbacks, figure out, am I going to single stack? Am I going to double stack this quarterback with uh, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, tight ends? Um, some of the pass catching running backs, you can go that route too. Like a lot of times this year, it was Justin Herbert, and maybe I'm going to pair him with Eckler and somebody else, you know, from the passing attack. Because there are still some running backs out there where we can project, okay, it's basically like you're playing a wide receiver. So, and a lot of places will tell you the correlations like that don't work really well. Well, if, if, the running back's still going to get a lot of targets, or if they're primarily a pass-catching running back, you can't do that. You can't go that route. Um, I know it went a lot of different directions with all of this, but um, to really kind of bring this back full circle, uh, I do think that there are a lot of different ways that you can and, – and some of this, you know, Frank, we're, we're looking at roster percentages for players who's popular this week, who's not popular, you know, so – I think that there are a lot of times where I'm going with quarterbacks and wide receivers and I'm prioritizing those builds. There are also, and there's something to be said for now, like just how you talked about, a lot of people are not paying up for running backs now. So you see a lot of times in weeks where these high-priced running backs are going overlooked. And the other thing is flipping that back and going with old-school builds is a good way to be contrarian. At least it was in the last part of last season. Like the one that stuck out to me and he broke the slate because I looked at his matchup and I said, this team is grossly overrated. I am playing him. I don't care what the narrative is. He's getting a lot of volume. He's behind a good offensive line. And this team is not nearly as good as everybody's puffing them up to be. And Jonathan Taylor broke the freaking slate. Like it was the week he scored like five touchdowns and I'm sitting here just backstroking in DFS. Cause I had like <laughs> so much Jonathan Taylor. It was ridiculous. And he was like five, maybe 7% because everybody's like, well, Buffalo's really, really good versus running backs. No, they weren't. And we saw that bear out as the season went on. They didn't play anybody. They didn't play any good offensive lines. So there is something to be said for being contrarian when the field is doing something and saying, okay, I'm not paying up for running backs. There are times this year where I was paying up for running backs and I was going super punt at quarterback. Like, Tyler Huntley, the first week he started, he went out and he rushed. And you see these rushing quarterbacks, whether it's taking care of uh, or advantage of matchups or guys that have legs and can run. Huntley was an awesome play. Uh, one of the weeks where he first started, I'm forgetting who who he played. It was Packers. And uh, also Gardner Minshew was a fantastic play versus the Jets. We knew the Jets stunk, yet everybody was like, hey, I don't really know if I want to play Gardner Minshew. So there's a lot of different things and a lot of different ways to go in DFS. Um, part of it's matchups, part of it's being contrarian and understanding, okay, well, if everybody else is going this direction, then you're not going to get to the top of the leaderboard in tournaments if you swim in the same direction. So you've got to go against the grain. And what sticks out from a statistics standpoint or a matchup standpoint that's screaming at you maybe the field is really wrong about this player. And if that's the case, like Jonathan Taylor, you just win all the money that week. Yeah, and I think it's a really good point that you bring up too, specifically about Jonathan Taylor. He's not the same, but similar in the way of uh, Derrick Henry, where he doesn't catch a ton of passes, mm -hmm. right? So especially, you know, if we're playing on DraftKings, full point PPR, yeah, obviously Derrick Henry, he comes with like so much touchdown equity and so much just touch equity in general that his price is super high, but you can't really project too many targets for him. I think there was some kind of feel for that uh, for Jonathan Taylor last year as well. So maybe you got him at lower ownership because of that, specifically over on DraftKings. Now, I didn't prep you for this question, but we were talking beforehand, 
And you mentioned contest selection and how uh, it's gotten so tough the past few years. What are maybe a few contests that you look at or what you're playing on a weekly basis? I know you mentioned GPPs are something that you play quite a bit. Contest selection, how has that worked for you the past couple of years? And for me, you want to try to get into the smallest fields. And a lot of this comes down to what your bankroll is. Um, so how much money are you going to play with on a weekly basis? And not everybody has $100, $200, $500, $300, whatever to throw a DFS on a weekly basis. Much less, you're not going to throw your entire bankroll. So if I'm just now getting into DFS or if I have a lower bankroll or really the thing that comes down to me is I want to get in the smallest field I possibly can. Now, in a lot of cheaper contests, that's hard to do. And when I say small fields, I'm not talking about like 5,000 people, 10,000 people. Those are large field contests. And you're going to see a lot of people throw a lot of different stuff against the wall in those. And it's hard unless you're really perfect nowadays to take those down. So uh, one of the cheat codes that I would say for somebody, especially, and I'll craft this to anybody listening to this that's just now getting into DFS. If you wait and reserve just a few free contests, you're not paying anything, but you want to set your lineups beforehand. And you're saying, okay, I've got $50. I got $100. I want to get into contests where there's 100 people in them, 200 people, 300 people. A lot of those smaller fields, it's you're giving yourself a better chance to take it down because you're not playing against all of the different variants of 5,000 people, 10,000 people. And a lot of what I play is single entry. So people are not running 150 lineups. They're not running 20 lineups, 10 lineups, all that different stuff. You get one lineup and see how it goes. So I, I am very much a, and a lot of, I don't use an optimizer on a lot of different things. I, I am very much a hand build bro. So it's single entries. It's three maxes, which is you get three lineups to put in this cer- certain contest to try to take it down. That's really where I go to. And a lot of that just comes down to like how I approach DFS. And the more you play, you figure out, okay, what, how does my mind work? What do I look at for a slate? And just honestly, the more you play, you realize I'm better at this. This is where my mind just magically goes every single week. And, and so you lean into it. And I've learned that single entry and three max contest, but getting back to the cheat code, if you don't have a lot of money, but you want to get into these lower, uh, smaller field tournaments, wait until about an hour before the slate locks and go and pull up your contests. And there are a lot of contests that that DraftKings, FanDuel, all these different places are trying to fill. Now, you'll see some of them at the, at the beginning of the week. But really, like an hour or two before the slate locks, you'll see contests for $10, $12, $15, $20, Things like that that are smaller fields. Now, the payout might not be fantastic and amazing, but this is how you build your bankroll and you try to get in better contests while also not breaking the bank and saying, I have $300 to play DFS for the entire season. Okay, I'm going to go blow, uh, not blow, but I'm going to invest $200 in this one slate. If you get wiped out, which happens in a lot of different times in GBPs, then you're looking at, okay, I just blew two thirds of my bankroll for the entire season on one week. Well, that's not great. You're probably going to end up getting fussed at by your significant other, and you're going to feel like, oh, God, you're going to put yourself into a spot where you feel like you're chasing. You're trying to dig yourself out of this hole for the rest of the season, or at least next week. You don't want to be in that kind of situation. So if you're not playing with a ton of money on a weekly basis and you're not getting into you know, $1,000 contests with only like 15, 20, 50 people in them, waiting an hour or two before lock and going and searching out these smaller field contests, you could put in the filters on DraftKings, FanDuel, and stuff like that for these type of contests, whether it's smaller fields, lower entries, and see what you find. But honestly, if you're getting into DFS and you want to dip your toe into tournaments, but you don't want to break the bank, it's where I'd start. Yeah, I think you have to be realistic with what your goals are too, right? If you're just trying to have fun, like you can join these massive contests, whatever they are, $1, $2 entry, and you could just throw out a crazy lineup and see what happens. But if you're actually trying to build up that bankroll and maybe eventually be profitable in this endeavor, I think playing in those smaller field contests, even though the the reward might not be as great, 
it is a better opportunity. It's more realistic for you to take something like that down uh, and eventually build up your bankroll, as you mentioned. Before we hit the break, I want to mention that we'll have two interview pods this month during April, so you can expect another one in about two weeks from now, and then again after the NFL draft. I think we're going to be doing some best ball content. Uh, maybe I'll hit up Heath Cummings, see if he wants to join us on some of those as well. Uh, but I think I, for a lot of people, it's already best ball season. Not, not for me yet. But once the NFL draft happens, I think I'll probably jump into a few of those drafts. Uh, let's take a quick break. And when we return, we'll talk about showdown slates here on Fantasy Football Today DFS. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, so Derek, I know you do a lot of work with the NFL Showdown slates, uh, specifically the past couple of years. What is your favorite way to attack these? Are you also going single entry, three max, uh, mass multi-enter? Because uh, I've heard all different kinds of ways to play Showdown slates. So for me, I, I play a bit lighter, so I play a little bit less money on showdown slates. Um, for me, I'll run anywhere between five and ten lineups and stuff like that. But if you really want to get the edge, you're really going to go deep into showdown. The the way to approach it is volume. So running 20 to 150 lineups is really the way that I would attack it. And again, I play lower stakes and stuff for showdown because the variance is massive, Frank. Like, and really, when I say play volume, you're trying to account for variance and you're trying to account for because when you play showdown and everybody that has not played showdown before, you're playing one single game and you pick a captain, your captain scores uh, one and a half. OK, also your salary doubles, but it doesn't double on FanDuel. So with showdown, I think that you approach it with volume. So you're trying to tell yourself a story of, OK, how does this game go? And as we've seen in the NFL, weird stuff happens on a weekly basis, a nightly basis. On island games, get weird. And a lot of times, like these games don't go exactly how you think they're going to go to in your mind's eye. But telling yourself a story on Showdown is the way to go. So, okay, uh, the Steelers are going to win this week. How are they going to do that? Okay, well, I think they're going to run the ball. Okay, well, this team's not very good versus the run. Okay, well, I'm going to play Najee Harris, a captain. You know, Really, you're looking to chase the ceiling outcomes and telling yourself a story about how the game goes. So if I'm playing on FanDuel, a lot of the times it's quarterback, and a lot of that just leans into the, quarterback, the, the scoring. So it's either quarterback, running back, wide receiver, guys that have, and again, they're, they're half-point scoring. Um, it, it comes down to touchdowns and who has massive touchdown equity in their offense. Um, over on DraftKings, you can kind of get weird and do a few different things for captain. Quarterbacks, unless a guy has rushing upside, or it's uh, an offense that's more spread out. So you usually won't see a an optimal quarterback captain over on DraftKings uh, unless one of two things happens. The quarterback is a really rushing threat, like Lamar Jackson, who have you, and he can all, he's garnering such a large share of the offense by what he's doing uh, both through the air and with his legs, that he's probably going to be the optimal captain. Or you get a quarterback that throws for 300 yards and four touchdowns, and he spreads the ball out to a bunch of different dudes, and none of them hit a ceiling, but the quarterback's the guy that that, that he, he gobbled up all the production. So really you're looking for, who can I tell myself a story of how this game goes and who gets a, a ceiling outcome? Now, 
you can go running backs in that instance. You can go quarterbacks uh, with uh, some of the parameters that I kind of laid out there or wide receivers. Uh, very rarely will I play tight end unless it's a guy that I think that either has one of two things. They're uh, an awesome like target hog. Like You can go Kyle Pitts, Travis Kelsey, Andrews, what have you. But it really has to be either a receiving threat to give me 102 scores or it's if if it's another guy that I think like he he's got maybe it's a Robert Tunyon um are these these other like tight ends that have two touchdowns in the range of outcomes but they're not really going to catch a lot of passes so the yardage is not high to go with a guy like that a captain then I'm saying okay if he's going to be the optimal captain then he's not going to be the highest scoring guy he's not going to sit here and give me like 30 points or what have you then, okay, well, then the, I think the game is going to be a more low-scoring affair. So that means your captain's going to be low-scoring so or more low-scoring low than other aspects. So a lot of different ways to approach showdown, but really play with volume, attack captains that can give you a ceiling outcome. And if you're going to go with pass catchers, a lot of times I'm correlating that with a quarterback in the lineup just to kind of wrap all this up. And I'm, I'm trying to summarize this because I'm really – DFS, there's so many different avenues to go on a weekly basis and every slate's different, every game's different, that really trying to contextualize all these different things to where people can walk away from this podcast and have actionable uh, approaches, it's difficult, but I'm trying to at least whittle it down a little bit, Frank. Hey, you're doing a good job, buddy. Look, again, like we're talking macro level DFS and... There are so many different things to consider, and every slate is different, as you just mentioned. So, you know, while we can offer what we think are these macro-level takes, you know, it's it's going to be dependent on the slate, and, and things are going to change every single week. I think you said it perfectly, right? Like, if you really want to get after it and showdown, it's going to be done with volume because, again, like, there is so much variance. We say this constantly. Like, this is a word we use every single day time we're talking about DFS is how much variance there is not only on a weekly basis but on a game to game basis on a play to play basis and if you want to cover that variance basically hedge your bets is you need to do that by playing a bunch of volume uh, in showdown slates not impossible you could play single entries and you know you can get creative with your lineup but I think if you really want to get get after it in showdown you're going to want to do it with uh, volume I mentioned already, the NFL draft is coming up at the end of April. Uh, before you know it, again, training camps, OTAs, all that fun stuff. And then preseason football. So let's dive into our uh, degenerate side here, Derek, because I know that you cover preseason DFS as well. What are some things that you're paying attention to uh, when making preseason lineups? Like, are you scouring Twitter to find news about like playing time, coach speak? Do you have rules like targeting second string or third string players the first week of preseason DFS? What do we do? So I'll lead this off with saying uh, when it's preseason DFS time, beat writers get tired of my DMs. Um, I've got basically a list of all the beat writers that I talk to. Some teams I'm closer to than others, but I'm DMing them and I'm saying, hey, this guy, who's standing out in practice? Who's going to play this week? Um, Some of these different things that like you're not seeing maybe out in the Twitterverse. And sometimes you do. You know, so a lot of it, I start, you start by scouring beat writer reports, figuring out who's going to play, who's not going to play. And a lot of what preseason DFS comes down to, it's playing time, Frank. It's all comes down to playing time. And where you start with that is not just the beat reports, but you pull up depth charts. And this is how you surmise playing time. So if you're going to go play preseason DFS, and you'll get a lot of different chances. Like during the preseason, they'll have like games on Thursday, games on Friday, games on Saturday. It's a lot. It's really spread out. And so you'll get a lot of different slates with four games, five games on a certain slate. It's not like uh, a usually NFL Sunday. And really the first place where you start is depth charts. And you'll see teams, okay, if they only got three quarterbacks or two quarterbacks or two tight ends on the roster – that's how you understand where this playing time goes sometimes. Because if the starter is not playing and they only got two tight ends, okay, well, this guy's also hurt. There's one tight end and he's going to play the entire freaking game or two quarters or three quarters of action. You're following the playing time and you're following athleticism. Because if I want to play preseason DFS, I want the guys that we're chasing volume. How do I get the volume? Guys got to play snaps. And also, am I going to get to a ceiling outcome? How am I getting the ceiling outcome? Well, the guy's got to have athleticism. 
because running backs are not going to play usually a full game in the preseason unless you're uh, New England, who loves – Bill loves to run the ball. Um, cheat code there. Bill loves to run the ball in the preseason. Over the last three or four years, it's all he does. Um, and a lot of subs in a lot of different places have won a lot of money over the last few preseasons because of the chasing stuff like this. So it, it really comes down to playing time, and it comes down to upside. And so I'm looking at not only the playing time, but I'm looking at the athletic upside of a lot of different players. So can you run? Are you fast? Could you break off a 70-yard run, 30-yard run, and lead me to glory in DFS uh, for preseason? It's a lot of what I'm chasing. So these backup tight ends that run four eights, four nines, they're blocking types. You know, maybe people chase that because, oh, he is the only tight end and he's going to play a ton of snaps. But if he's not, I mean, if, he, if he's four nine and he doesn't really catch passes, yeah, he can play a ton of snaps and it's not going to get you anywhere. You know, <laughs> so that's really what it comes down to, man. I love preseason DFS because a lot of different places, sites, um, even players, You'll see, um, not, I'm not going to say a lot of dead money, but you'll see a lot of bad lineups. You'll see people that aren't finding or grinding the beat writer reports or the playing time uh, projections for these players as much as maybe myself or other people in the space. I love preseason DFS. It's always one of the most degen, amazing things. And it's a really good, if you're willing to buy in and take the time to do this, it's a good bankroll builder walking into week one, man. Something you hit on, a few things you hit on there, and I remember so vividly last year, the Patriots run the ball in the preseason and looking at athletic profiles. I started a gentleman named Ramondre Stevenson in week one of preseason last year. Yeah. And I see this guy break off like a 70-yard touchdown run. I was out of it. I was like dead. I was like, oh, great. Why do I even play preseason football? Like, this is, what, what am I doing? Ramondre Stevenson breaks off this huge run. Next thing you know, I'm all the way up in the money. I was like... That guy. I like that guy. Bill Belichick likes to run the football. Stevenson is a beast. Uh, so, yes, uh, I can fully attest to uh, Bill Love. Bill wanting to run the ball in preseason. Love that game. I had a lot of lineups where I played both of the guys in that game because both J.J. Taylor and Stevenson went off. Um, and I and we discussed it a whole lot in discords and things like that and DMs on Twitter. A lot of people had really, really good days by playing Patriots running backs that day. You know what was sneaky, too, in the preseason last year? Just the Patriots are just uh, sticking out like a sore thumb here. It was Christian Wilkerson. Christian Wilkerson was, like, often, uh, awesome for them. It was like, Mac Jones likes to feed his slot wide receivers, and this guy was, like, running all these uh, routes out of the slot and all these targets here in the preseason. Christian Wilkerson and Ramondre Stevenson, those were two names that I remember very vividly having awesome preseason games. So uh, maybe the Patriots will go back to the well there once again once preseason games roll around. Uh, but before preseason games, we have the NFL draft. And I know you do a lot of work with it. Uh, I was just reading up your most recent mock draft over at Fantasy Pros. Uh, landing spots will be massive, but... Which rookies could you see making the biggest impact in DFS this year? I think it's going to come down to these top-end wide receivers that are going to get projected or at least picked in the first round um, and the running backs. I think that two of these top running backs, whether it's Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker, I think that you see week one pricing come out so early and it doesn't account for depth chart battles because it, once it comes out, it's frozen. It's frozen. Right. So great ways to attack it. It's really, really soft pricing. Uh, usually in week one, you can go a lot of different directions. So I think that a lot of it's going to come down to these rookie running backs that get top two, three round draft capital. Um, so I'm staring at Brees Hall, I'm staring at Kenneth Walker. Uh, maybe somebody else falls in there that we don't really understand. You know, we're, we're surprised by and these top end wide receivers. So Drake London, Garrett Wilson uh, are at the top of my board. Uh, Jamison Williams, I don't think he starts the year, but I think the, uh, one of the good things with rookies, and it's something we see year over year, Frank, is that these rookies, once they catch on down the stretch run, they can get hot, and a lot of people are like, okay, can he repeat it? Can he repeat it? And we're like, oh, yeah, he's repeating it. And people don't want to chase it because they're like, I don't know if it's repeatable. And we see it year over year, though, man, like these rookies down the stretch, when they get hot, you ride the tidal wave, man. Like this year, it was Jamar Chase. This year, Amon Ross St. Brown won people a ton of money down the stretch because they're like, he can't keep doing this, right? Like, he's not going to keep doing this. And he kept doing it. And so, like, for the rookies, 
it's a lot of, okay, you chase the upside, but you also understand that when they hit their stride down the back end of the season, if people, you could be a week ahead of the curve and saying, look, I'm going to play this rookie. I think he's going to get a lot of playing time this week. This guy's injured. This guy's injured. He's getting slowly getting the uptick in targets and routes and stuff like that. And whenever they pop, just because they do it once, they can go back to the well and you can keep riding that tidal wave, man. Once you pop, you can't stop, man. Byron Pringle. No, not Byron Pringle. <laughs> Anyone but Byron Pringle. Uh, this seems like a ridiculous question. You mentioned a few wide receivers that you have up top. Is there a Jamar Chase in this class? I thought it was ridiculous to consider this last year. I mean, everyone was comparing uh, Jamar Chase to Justin Jefferson. Like, oh, you know, he has the same ability and he has the same upside. And I'm like, look, there's no way, man. Like, Justin Jefferson just had a historic season. And then look at what Jamar Chase does. So uh, do you think that there is an alpha, legit alpha wide receiver like that in this draft class? So the the two guys, and one of them is not going to be healthy to start the year, uh, Jamison Williams, I think that has that type of upside in his range of outcomes. So he's somebody I would keep a finger on the pulse, uh, both middle of the season and end of the season. But the guy that, that screams, I've already brought his name up once. He's the number one wide receiver on my board uh, for wide receiver prospects walking into the NFL draft cycle. I love Drake London, man. I absolutely love him. Um, uh, Matt Harmon wrote up uh, a fantastic, and he does awesome work with reception perception. But a lot of the narratives out there in the, in the DFS, or not the DFS streets, the draft streets, have been, oh, Drake London can't separate. Um, one, you go read Harmon's piece over on receptionperception.com. Fantastic work. Um, debunks this because we're all out in the streets. Like, there's other p- smart people. Uh, I know my dude, Ray GQ, has been fighting this battle too. I think Drake London has alpha uh, upside. I think that he has that in his range of outcomes. He's a guy that can win on nine routes. He can win on uh, short and intermediate routes. Just based off of his size, he's going to be a 50-50 jump ball and red zone threat from day one. If he lands in a place, like I keep mocking him, and I think my most recent mock, I left him in there. uh, I keep mocking him to the Atlanta Falcons. And if he lands there, oh my Lord, I'm going to love it because it's him and it's Kyle Pitts. And if they use Drake London from week one as he's competing with only Kyle Pitts for volume and targets and things like that, and we saw Drake London just put up video game video game numbers, Frank. Like, I don't think that people really, really understand that they see the end of the season totals for Drake London. Like, oh, it was a good season. The dude did it while missing a ton of games last year. If you go and look at just his single game box scores, they are ridiculous. He was averaging like 14 targets and 11 receptions per freaking game. If he'd have played a full season, we'd have been like, holy crap, Drake London just broke things. So he's a guy that I'm going to be uh, heavy into both in dynasty formats, DFS, what have you, because I think that if he lands in a spot like Atlanta, where he could walk into a massive target load week one, because I'm sorry, uh, Alameda Zacchaeus, Ain't that guy. Um, the other guys they have on that depth chart are not those guys. Uh, yeah, I love it, man. Sign me up for some Drake London. Man, the Demir Bird disrespect. How dare you, Derek? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess the question will be, can Marcus Mariota get the ball to all these guys? But, you know, look, if he has two, I would say, alpha receivers, one being a wide receiver, one being a tight end, and Kyle Pitts and, and Drake London... I mean, man, all you got to do is get the ball in the hands of those guys and and let them do the rest. I've seen a lot of comps for Drake London. Maybe it's a little bit lazy because he's a bigger guy, but a lot to Mike Evans. So, look, that wouldn't be the worst outcome. Mike Evans has had a fantastic career. So if Drake London can turn into Mike Evans, uh, I I think that'd be pretty awesome for him. I I like, so the Mike Evans one, I put it in my write-up that's that's live over on Fantasy Pros right now. You can go to our Dynasty Draft Kit and, and check that out. Uh, Mike Evans was in mine, but not that wasn't the totality of my comp for, for Drake London. Um, I think that he shares the same skills as Mike Evans at the catch point. But the guy that I think, that like, and, and I talk about it, we, he's coming off of an awesome season. We saw him ball out this year. T. Higgins. I think Drake London comp, comps very effectively to T. Higgins. I think that he wins in the short and uh, intermediate areas of the field a lot better than people give him credit for. And that's exactly what you see with T. Uh, T coming out, people were not massive on his like his testing and things like that. The dude wins. He gains separation. He might not be the deep threat that Jamar Chase is, but that's how he wins, man. He's a chain mover, and he can create big plays after the catch. And uh, I see that from Drake London. I think that's awesome, too, yeah, because T Higgins coming in, I remember a lot of people were just like, oh, well, you know, he'll provide a red zone threat, not yep. necessarily 
know what he's going to do outside of that. But yeah, he really has been fantastic in the short to intermediate. Really, really nice compliment to uh, Jamar Chase so far in their career together. So I think that'd be an awesome outcome for uh, Drake London. I guess with that, right? Like my New York Jets, I guess I've claimed them. Unfortunately, <laughs> they uh, they have two picks in the top 10. They have the fourth overall pick. They have the 10th overall pick. I see a lot of people mocking a wide receiver to them at 10th overall. Uh, I guess, you know, if Drake London is there for them, that's that's the pick. That's that's what you're that's what you'd hope for if you were a Jets fan. Um, so I think there's two different guys. I think Drake London is one of them that could fit their offense really, really well. The guy that if if I have to pick just one guy though, um, honestly, it's Garrett Wilson. I think that he is a hand in glove fit for how the Jets need to and want to run their offense. I think that he's a guy that the thing that sticks out about Garrett Wilson, I comped him to Santonio Holmes. His after-the-catch ability is awesome. He's a guy that I think you could run him inside-outside. They could switch up, and him and Elijah Moore could just rotate the slot. Um, I think that he could fill a lot of different uh, avenues for you as far as his skill set. But the thing that I want for Garrett Wilson and why I think that he's a good fit for this LaFleur type of scheme, and they need a player like this that they don't have right now. Like, I think Elijah Mitchell or Elijah Moore is a really good uh, technician. I think that he could play the Z, he could play the X, he could go slot. I think he's very versatile. Garrett Wilson is a guy that if they get him on short and intermediate uh, routes on crossers, his yards out of the catch ability would be awesome. So I, I love that fit for the Jets. I know a lot of people uh, are are comping or at least mocking Drake London to the Jets. I think he's probably going to be off the board before the Jets get on the clock. And honestly, I think stylistically, people don't look at Garrett Wilson as maybe the same type of fit in this offense. But if you look at how they run and not just a one-for-one -one comparison between the Jets and San Francisco, but similar staffs, guys that came over from that team, um, they are running a lot of the same concepts in their run game. I think that the passing game, we could see that with more players that fit these skill sets that they want to run this offense effectively. I think Gary Wilson is honestly the best fit for the Jets right now. Look, nobody is Debo Samuel, but you've seen it time and time again in that Shanahan offense over in San Francisco. They get the ball in Debo's hands. They let him do work after the catch. So hopefully, you know, Garrett Wilson, if they do draft him, I think that makes a lot of sense stylistically for the New York Jets. I think they're building something there. I'm not really sold on Zach Wilson. I, I don't really know what to expect from him. Mm. But in terms of like Michael Carter and Elijah Moore, and if they bring in another young wide receiver, I think that they're going to have a lot of fun weapons in that offense this upcoming season. Last one here for you. The running backs you mentioned. Uh, if What would be the, mo the best landing spot most conducive for a running back this season? Like if Brees Hall were to land with blank, that would be the best possible outcome for his fantasy value. There's there's two easy uh, low hanging fruit destinations, and I'll give you a third uh, here at the end. Uh, Atlanta and the Houston Texans are, are both backfields that I think that Brees, Kenneth Walker, either one of these guys can come in from day one and establish themselves as the guy. Uh, Houston, I know they signed Marlon Mack. Both of these teams, and you see some of the tea leaves of this walking into the NFL draft, Frank, every single year, and. We've seen this with Chicago. We've seen this. Uh, I think Atlanta tried to draft a running back last year, but they got hopped. Um, them and the Dolphins both tried to address their backfields. I think Javante Williams could have gone to either one of those teams, but Denver said, eh, 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 and they came up and hopped them in the draft. I think that this year Atlanta would be awesome because they have a bunch of guys that are old and on one-year, two-year deals. Like, I'm not worried about Mike Davis. Um I mean, Arthur Smith's not even worried about Mike Davis. Uh, I'm not worried about Damian Williams. I'm not worried about Cordero Patterson. I think he's going to get a lot more snaps as a wide receiver this year, unless they, even if they address the wide receiver position, I think Patterson's going to get more snaps at wide receiver. Um, so I love Atlanta. I love Houston for the same reasons. You got a bunch of guys, a bunch of bodies. Rex Burkhead is not the, the, the guy. We, I don't think Marlon Mack is going to be the guy. So, both of these teams, they would walk in clear paths to volume and opportunity from day one, especially if you're assuming they get the draft capital. The third spot that I'm going to roll out here, and I don't think that they address the position on day one or day two, but if they take a guy on day three to fill out the roster, you've got Chris Carson who is massively up in the air as far as can he play? Is he healthy? What does he look like right now? Rashad Penny has dealt with his own injury demons over multiple seasons, and he's only on a one-year deal. If Seattle takes a guy in the fourth round, Carson's not healthy, Penny goes out, you could see that running back that they take, if they take a guy in the late third, early fourth, 
maybe walk into a lot of volume. So it's it's definitely a team that I'm going to keep. And we can all throw out there the Pete Carroll jokes and you know establish the run and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But I'm looking at the depth chart and it screams as a place that people might not be high on it walking out of the NFL draft. But if a guy lands there late, like late round three, early round four, there's an easy path to opportunity in Seattle. All right, we're going to wrap it up there. We went a little bit long here, but you know what? Derek was crushing it. I was like, you know, I got to keep this guy on a little bit longer. Let's pick his brain a little bit about the NFL draft. Again, one of the best in the industry. He does season-long dynasty, of course, DFS. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at dbro underscore FFB. Recently joined up with Fantasy Pros. Great addition there. Uh, Derek, anything that you'd like to promote while you're here that you've uh, put out recently? Yeah, man, it, it all comes back all the way back. The NFL draft is staring us right in the face in the next few weeks. We have a monster dynasty rookie draft kit that is live on the site. Both myself, contributors, other awesome writers that are full-time in the space are contributing to this. And there is something to be had in this draft kit for everybody, all walks of life. You can be a dynasty player and be playing for 10 years, and I promise you, you're going to walk away with something from this draft kit, whether it's the strategy pieces, which (laughs) we've got like 10 to 12 to 15 to 20 strategy articles going with rookie picks, all those different types of things, as well as rookie profiles. I've been deep in the weeds. I think I'm probably about 13 to 15 players deep on these write-ups. And um, our, our dude over there, Scott Bogman, is crushing the IDP write-up. So defensive players are all in there too. So we got something for you regardless of what format you play. Superflex, Dynasty, IDP. Hell, you're just hopping in there to find out about the rookies because you want to draft them in best ball. This is a mountain of content, and I and I know I sound like I'm being sales pitchy, but honestly, there's something in there for everybody, Frank. Like I, it doesn't matter whether you're a, you're a dynasty savant, you're going to walk away with this draft kit with something that you pulled from it and said, "Wow, you know, I learned something from this." Awesome, yeah, Bogman too. I know does great work, super entertaining. Him, uh, Bogman and the Welsh from their uh, awesome guys in this league days as well. So yeah. Uh, Great work there, Uh, and and we're going to wrap it up. For Derek, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Football Today DFS. We will see you in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. Spring training is in full swing, and Fantasy Baseball draft season is upon us. That means you need to join us on Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every Monday through Saturday for six pods per week throughout the month of March. We'll break down the latest news, spring training updates, players to target, and much more in just five minutes. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.